last week I, I started, this is just a super mini-series. It was last week and then this week, and then next week we're going to start something completely different. Next week we're starting a series called Running from God, and it's going to be so good. I hope that you'll be joining us. It's something I've been praying about and researching and studying for, for several months now. It's what we're starting next week. But what we wanted to do is take a few weeks, two weeks to be exact, to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. So in, in historical Orthodox Christianity, we believe several things about God. First of all, I mean many things about God, but first of all, we believe in one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. In fact, the Jewish people to this day recite something called the Shema that comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy, and it is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe in one God. We are monotheists, in case you've been wondering. We're, we're monotheists, and yet there's this mystery that we also believe. It's a doctrine of the Trinity, a historical orthodox belief, that this one God is expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are going, okay, that doesn't make any sense, and I will tell you, it's a mystery. I don't have it completely figured out. I've read whole volumes on the Trinity. It's a mystery. But we, we see this throughout the word of God, this one true God expressed in three persons. And, 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 and many times in church circles, especially evangelical circles or whatnot, we will spend a lot of time talking about God in a nebulous way, you know, just God. We talk a lot about God the Father we talk a lot about God the Son, who is Jesus, if you're wondering who God the Son is. We're speaking about Jesus. But we really don't give a lot of time to talk about God the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I, I don't need to, we don't need to go into the weeds on that. But what you need to know about God the Holy Spirit is, first of all, that he is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. There's not a rank order, there isn't the Holy Spirit who's just always like, oh man, I missed it again, you know, like, like he, he, he is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And this is going to be really important to recognize, especially in a few moments when we unveil what God has for each and every one of us. One of the things you need to know about God the Holy Spirit is that he is involved throughout Scripture. In fact, one of the threads that runs throughout not only the New Testament Scriptures, but the Old Testament Scriptures, is not only the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit, this is a trivia question, and we told you this last week, the Holy Spirit is the second member of the Trinity, or the, sorry about this, the Holy Spirit is the first member of the Trinity mentioned in Scripture in the second verse of the Bible. Before a mention of God the Father or God the Son, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the second verse of the Bible as hovering over chaos, hovering over darkness. He's mentioned throughout the Old Testament in empowering individuals. The Holy Spirit is mentioned as being an integral part of Jesus' life. In fact, his very conception, the Holy Spirit is hovering over him. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that she was going to be with child, and she said, how can this be? I, I, I've never had sexual relations with anybody. And, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit will hover over you. He will be upon you. Like at his very conception, the Holy Spirit is present. In his baptism, the Holy Spirit is present. Throughout his life and ministry, the Holy Spirit empowered him, gave him the power to do the miracles that he did. When his dead body was put into a borrowed grave on the third day, the Holy Spirit empowered the resurrection of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is present throughout his life and ministry. 
Last week we looked at some of the last words that Jesus spoke before his crucifixion on the evening that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, that, that Jesus gets his disciples close, just a couple of teenage boys or early 20-something guys, and, and he says, hey, listen, here's what you need to know about, and, and he talks extensively about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and, and, to, and to watch as we unpacked all that Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. So fast forward, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and on the night of Jesus' resurrection, we covered this last week, but it's so important that we get this down. On the night of Jesus' resurrection, his disciples aren't totally convinced yet that he's resurrected. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is reliable. If this was a bunch of guys making this up, wouldn't they want to present themselves in a favorable light? Why would they want to say that the women believed before they believed, especially in that culture? It doesn't make sense. We have four biographies of Jesus written within a generation of Jesus' life, which didn't happen in antiquity. We don't have uh, biographies of people written that close to their actual lifetime. But on the night of Jesus' resurrection, his disciples are fearful for their lives. They're afraid that they're going to be arrested next. They're afraid that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. And so they're in a room with the shades drawn and the doors bolted shut, and in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their unknowing the future, all of that, their insecurities, Jesus shows up, right? This is in John chapter 20. Jesus shows up, and he says, peace be with you. And they are wigging out. They didn't even necessarily hear him because then he says it again. He says it two times in a row. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he does something really weird in verse 22 of John chapter 20. He breathes on them. And he says, and if you were here last week, do you remember what he says? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an odd thing to do. I mean, he, he died. There, there's, they've all been through a lot of trauma. I mean, can you imagine that these poor disciples in this moment? There's so many things that Jesus would want to say in that moment of appearing to them after his resurrection. But he chooses these words, receive the Holy Spirit. And last week I asked you a question. If the resurrected Christ stands in front of you, and you finally get it, the light bulb comes on, the penny drops, you finally get that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the way to experience forgiveness of sins. In that moment, if the resurrected Christ speaks an imperative command over you, receive the Holy Spirit, the question is this, do you receive the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. If the resurrected Christ gives you the imperative to receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's why this is important for us. And sometimes this teaching has gotten distorted in different churches throughout the ages and, and in the United States of America in particular in some of our teachings. Here's what you need to understand, and this is so powerful, and if we could get this, if we could really understand this and get this deep down inside of us, it would change everything about us, and it would change everything about how we operate and how we reach out to other people. Here's the principle. When you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in that moment of asking him to forgive you of your sins and be the master and leader of your life, last week we said you were justified, you were adopted into his family, but here's the thing you need to get. You received the Holy Spirit. Now again, if we, if we ever really got that, it would change everything. In fact, Paul would write this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says to followers of Jesus, he says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, 
Rather, you received God's spirit. And some of them might be reading this letter from Paul and going, what do you mean I received God's spirit? When did I receive God's spirit? And he answers the question. He says, instead, you received God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba. I I just really want you to get this. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. And just, I know I keep repeating myself, but this... The Spirit is the same God as God the Father and God the Son. He is dwelling within you. He is living within you. This is so incredible. And so 40 days after they received the Holy Spirit, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, and he gathers his disciples, and he says, says, hey, here's the deal. In a few days, you guys are going to receive a gift. And they're like, oh, oh, gift. I'll take a gift. Like my kids, you know, if I say, hey, I got a gift for you guys when I get home from work, they're like all about that, right? He says, in a few days, the Father has a gift for you. He says, just as John, the dunking man, the Baptist, the baptizer, just as he baptized people in the Jordan River, in a few days, you will be baptized, you will be immersed and drenched and soaked in and with the Holy Spirit. And they didn't understand this at all. And we wouldn't have understood it at all either. So they start asking him some questions about the kingdom and are, you, are we finally coming into the kingdom and all this. And Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, listen, the, the whole deal about the Holy Spirit is he, he wants to give you power. And not just power so you can walk around, I've got the power. You know, like zapping people and getting everything you want and power to serve yourself and power for, no, no this is power to serve others. This is power to be witnesses of the greatness and strength of God to others. And then verse 9, the very next verse, not skipping anything, right after he says this, it's the ultimate mic drop moment because he ascends to the Father in verse 9. Like the last words that he speaks to his disciples is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Now, I'm wondering, well, didn't they already receive the Holy Spirit back on resurrection night when Jesus breathed on them and said to receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, they had received the Holy Spirit. So, What is this about there being more of the Holy Spirit? It's the way the kingdom of God operates. There's always more. It's like Jesus saying the kingdom of God is with you and yet it's to come. You've received the Holy Spirit and yet there's more of the Holy Spirit available to you. So what do the disciples do? Jesus ascends to the Father. That's verse 9. What happens next? Well, literally what happens next in verse 10 is they're staring up in the clouds. I mean, saliva's dropping down their their cheeks, and they're just staring. And God, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. God has to send angels down and say, why are you guys staring up at the clouds? Like, go do what Jesus told you to do. Like, stop staring at the clouds like idiots. Well, the idiots part isn't in the Bible, but... That's in my translation. And so what do they do next? Verse 12, we just looked at verse, verses 8 through 11. Verse 12 says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And they all met together. And what were they doing? Do you see this here? They were constantly united in prayer. 
They don't even know what they're praying for in in this moment. They don't know what this is going to be, but they know that Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until they received the, the gift that the Father had for them. So they're praying, God, we don't know what this gift is, but we just want what you have for us. Isn't that a great prayer to pray? God, I don't know what this is all going to, I don't understand it all, I I don't have it all figured out, I've got questions, but God, I want what you legitimately have for me, right? And so they're constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Verse 15, during this time, about 120 believers were together in one place. Now, if you skip to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, I'm, I don't mean to nerd out, but this is really important. The day of Pentecost helps us to understand the time that has elapsed from Jesus' ascension to the point where they are right now. And the time that has elapsed is 10 days. So we had Jesus' resurrection. He breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. Fast forward 40 days. He says, hey, you guys got to stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father has for you. They go into Jerusalem. They begin praying together. And 10 days later is where we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And this is important because what it means is they were waiting for 10 days. For 10 days they were praying and fasting and waiting for the gift that the Father had for them. And this is important because God has a gift for you and I. God has more power and more of the Holy Spirit available for you and I. But most of the time it's going to require waiting on him. And this is hard because we hate to wait. Hi, my name is Ken and I hate to wait. We hate waiting for anything, don't we? Like, you, you'll spend good mo- money going to a nice, fancy restaurant. I mean, I'm not talking about a restaurant where everything's prepared ahead of time. I mean, you're, you're spending some good money. You're taking your wife out, or maybe you're not married. You're taking out, you know, a significant other, and you go, to, and you're going to spend money. And yet, you'll order your food and get upset when it's not there, like in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. You're going, what are they doing back there? They're preparing your food is what they're doing back there. You look around a nice fancy restaurant and everyone's on their phones because we, we, we just hate to wait, don't we? We don't want to wait for anything. You go to large cities now and they'll introduce a product like a new iPhone or a new, you know, usually it's a technolo- technological device. And th- now in big cities, you can actually pay somebody to wait in line for you so you don't have to wait. Now, we look at that here, you know, us in the heart of the United States of America and rural America. We like to laugh at those foolish people who would do that. But, man, we, we now buy our groceries online and show up to Walmart and get ticked off when they don't come as soon as we press that button on our app to, to deliver. Come on, peasants. Bring me my groceries and put them in the back of my car, right? Like, like we hate to wait, don't we? We hate to wait, but here's a principle in the kingdom of God. The things that God has for us often require waiting. And for 10 days, they were gathering together. I, I don't think that, that means for 24-7. They were, I think they were, some of them had to work jobs. Some of them were servants and, and had to go about their, the business of the masters that they worked for. And, and, but, but, but they would come back together in the evenings, or they would come back together when they had the time. And, and they were waiting. They were saying, God, we don't know what we're even waiting for, but we wait for you. We want what you have for us. They were waiting. 
It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So let me ask you a question. Okay, this, and this, this is difficult. This, to try to understand all this, is, it seems so mysterious, right? They had already received the Holy Spirit, right? And yet now they experience this overflow, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes this can be hard. This can be hard for me to understand. And recently I was talking to a friend and we were talking about like, like lamps that have like dimmers on them. And this isn't a lamp with a dimmer, but this is a lamp where you, with the lighting in this room, you're going to have to pay real close attention. Is this lamp now on? Some of you in the back, you're like, I don't know. It doesn't look any different to me. If you were up close, you'd say, yeah, the lamp is now on. The lamp is on. The light is on. Can it get brighter? I don't know. I don't have a lamp like this at home. Maybe it will. This is a high fancy. I mean, I don't even have to hit a switch. Look, it gets brighter. Oh. But can it get brighter than this? Yes, it can. And listen, there's some engineers in this room that if I give you a week, probably it wouldn't even take you a whole day. And I say, hey, go to Lowe's. Here's a credit card. Spend as much money as you could. Some of you guys could, could soup this lamp up. And we could make this so people have to put on sunglasses in order to look at this thing, right? With the LED technology and the wattage that we have available, I mean, we could watt this thing out, couldn't we? Here's the truth. Have you re- are you, if you're a believer, have you received the Holy Spirit? Is there more of the Holy Spirit available for you? And on the day of Pentecost, these guys watt out. I mean, they had received the Holy Spirit but now they are made brighter. The dimmer was turned all the way up. I mean, the, the account actually says that it was something like flames literally hovering over their heads. If that's not the definition of wadding out, I don't know what is. So they had experienced this activation of the Holy Spirit that had already been resident in their lives. What, what was the impact how did it impact them? Because I think every once in a while when we're reading scripture, we have to ask the question, so what? I mean, not in a snarky way, not in a, a sarcastic way, but okay, great, it's good that the scripture says this. What does this have to do with our lives? So, so let me just ask a question. What did the difference of the Holy Spirit make in the followers of Jesus? What difference did it make in their lives? And probably the best way to approach this is to look at the case study of probably the most famous of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Peter. And even if you haven't been around church circles, most of you have heard of Peter. My parents were actually married at St. Peter's Church. There's, there's hospitals named after Peter. and I mean, Peter's a pretty famous dude. And so what do we know about Peter before, before the day of Pentecost, before this outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What are some things we know about Peter? And this is going to be a time, we don't usually do this on Sunday morning, but if I had a whiteboard behind me, I'd write down all the things that you guys are going to say. But what, what, what do we know about Peter before the day of Pentecost? You can actually talk back. I know you're like, do, do we get to talk back? Like, what do we know about Peter? His name's Peter. Austin, you get a gold star, man. He's paying attention. What do we know about Peter? He gave him up. He, he, uh, he denied him, right? Is that what you're talking about? 
No, that's a different dude. We'll, we'll, we'll get with you later. All right, all right, we're going to go to some other people. So, so here's a big deal. This is a big part of Peter's story is that Peter was all talk, right? Jesus actually went up to Peter and he said, listen, here's the deal, Peter. What you need to know is that you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter's like, what did Peter say? I would never. I mean, Peter's all talk, right? I would never do that. I would never diss you. You're my bro. You know, all this kind of stuff. And sure enough, like on the night that Jesus is arrested and he's now on trial, a servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And what does Peter do? No, I'm not. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. Totally disowns him, totally denies that he knows who Jesus is. What, about, what else about Peter do we know? Anybody else? Impulsive? Is that what he said? Or am I making that up? You might have, he, he was very impulsive. This is a guy who just, he would say whatever came to his mind. How many of you know somebody like that? They just say whatever. How many are sitting right next to you right now? No, don't, 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 don't do that. Everyone was pointing at Austin. I don't know why. Like, is it just, he would just say whatever, whatever would come to his mind. He, he was just one of these guys who, if it came in his brain, there was no filter. It just came right out, right? What else do we know about Peter? Anybody else? Yeah, he walked on water, which he's the only other than Jesus. The only, so he sees Jesus walking on water, and he goes, hey, me too. I want to do that stuff. And Jesus says, come on, let's do it. And he walked on water. He also is infamous for sinking and crying out, and I'm going to drown, help me, save me. But you, you see that impulsiveness, right? Like, the, like he, 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 wants, he has good intentions. They don't always work out. Well, anything else about Peter that stands out to you? combative right like this guy he's a brawler remember the garden of gethsemane when when judas comes to betray him and they have the temple guards that are all there and peter has a sword and peter is like not on my watch he, he cuts he misses too you know he aims for the guy's throat ends up getting his ear it's a bloody mess jesus has to fix it yeah anybody else these are great examples what, what are we saying about peter he, He's kind of like us, right? He's just, he, I love the humanness of Peter, a guy who, he just misses the mark so many times, and, and I'll be honest, like you look at him, you just kind of feel bad for him. Like even after Jesus' resurrection, even after Jesus appears to these guys, Peter is like, I denied Jesus, I'm done. He goes off fishing. Jesus has to go after the dude again. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has to go after him and say, hey, you're still my guy. Like, you're still my follower. Come on. Don't run away from me. So here's the thing. In light of all these things that we just said about Peter, something absolutely unique, something incredible happens inside of Peter after this day of Pentecost. In fact, beginning the day of Pentecost, we see the change like instantly or suddenly. I'm going to go through some bullet points. I think these are in your notes, and we'll put these up on the screen. But these are just some things about Peter, and it shows you how different things can be when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, he preached with great power, and 3,000 people were saved in one day. And this is without sound systems and without auditoriums. Can you imagine? In chapter 3, he prayed for a crippled man who was healed 
In chapter 3, he spoke boldly while on trial in front of a, a bunch of religious leaders, who, by the way, were the same religious leaders who probably two months earlier had convicted Jesus and sent Jesus off to die. The same people that Peter was so afraid of, he is now standing boldly in front of and preaching to them. In chapter 5, mighty miracles happened as crowds brought their sick to him for prayers. In fact, there were so many people trying to get to Peter for healing that it says people would bring sick and infirm people and put them out on the streets, hoping that just his shadow would pass by them. That this is a power that now is upon Peter's life. In Acts chapter 9, he prayed for a crippled man who began to walk. In Acts chapter 9, he prayed for a dead woman and she came back to life. That's whacked, isn't it? Can we all just, I mean, that's incredible, right? That's a difference. In, in chapter 10, he receives a vision during prayer that changed the way that church leaders now thought about Gentiles and their need for the good news of Jesus. Before this event, they thought the gospel was only for Jewish people. And after, after Peter gets this vision, he now begins to say, hey, this is not just for us. This is for everybody. Everybody gets in on this. In chapter 12, God sends an angel to break him out of prison, and he was there because of preaching about the resurrection of Christ. I mean, there is a difference in Peter's life. What is the difference? What is the difference? Peter had waited, prayed for, and experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The light had been on in his life, but on the day of Pentecost, it got way brighter than that. Peter was now operating with the fullness of the Spirit. So again, the question, so what? That was 2,000 years ago. What does this have to do with my life? Unfortunately, in many ways, the American church, and I would include even our church in this, too often becomes about human effort, behavior modification, just trying to follow the rules and follow the regulations, and we miss out on the empowerment and fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that we need to just be Christians who don't do anything. If you've been around Journey, you know we want to be involved in our community. You know that we want to be involved in serving others. This isn't a thing of saying that, that human effort should not be part of the equation. But all too often, we think that it's just about our human effort. And what would happen if we began to be strategic and intentional about inviting the Holy Spirit into our everyday lives? I'm not asking you to, to start spending two hours reading the Bible and praying every morning. I think that there could be a huge difference that would be made if we just woke up in the morning and before we got our phones out, what if we just said, good morning, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are in me and with me. Lead me. Show me your truth. Give me ears to hear your voice today. That, that, that prayer takes less than a minute to pray. What if we began to, throughout our day, just rely upon the leading of the Holy Spirit? Just begin, to, just begin to assume that he's in me and with me because Jesus said that we would receive him when we received his forgiveness and his grace. So the Holy Spirit is already in you and with you. You don't have to beg him to, to join. He's already in you and with you. It's about stepping into what he's already doing. Paul said it this way, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, and this verse is a verse that just continues to come back to me. Verse 63, this is 
this is way before Jesus' death and resurrection. This is when he was just ministering to people and healing people and teaching. He said this, in the midst of a teaching, he said, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Jesus said this, he said, human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now if we're to take Jesus at face value, what it means is, again, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. But it means we become so desperate about Holy Spirit if we don't have you leading us and empowering us, then all of our efforts are wasted. And how many times have we done church where there's been a great sermon preached, great singing song, but the Holy Spirit wasn't at the heart of it, and so nothing really happened. This is what I'm after as your pastor, is that we would be a church of just this Holy Spirit. Not only are you welcome, it's not like a, hey, if you want to join us, that would be great. That we would be a church where we would be so desperate for the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have you, we're not going to do a thing. There's a pastor from the North Hills of Pittsburgh. Uh, Carrie and I were ministers in the South Hills of Pittsburgh uh, for six years. And, and we, we saw Jeff's ministry, saw his life. And he's written a book on the Holy Spirit. But he said this in his book. He says, Jesus wants the Holy Spirit to be manifest in and released through your life. We don't have to beg him to do, like this is his desire. This is what Jesus wants. He wants the Holy Spirit to be manifest in. He wants the Holy Spirit to be released through your life. Now listen to this next statement. He says, what you have been doesn't have to determine who you will be. I'm gonna say that again. Somebody in this room, what we're talking about this morning is not for the superhero Christians. This is for everybody in this room. Maybe you've only been saved for, maybe it's been since the beginning of the service. Whether you've been saved a week or a hundred weeks or a thousand weeks makes no difference. What you have been doesn't have to determine who you will be. Your past doesn't define your potential. And that was absolutely true in Peter's life. His past didn't have to define the future. Once he experienced the fullness and the ministry, once the light was turned up in his life. So here's my question. Have you been born again? I say, Ken, I don't know what that means. Have you come to a place of humbling yourself and saying, I don't have what it takes. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered. God, I am broken and helpless. Come and rescue me. Forgive me of my sins. Be the master and leader of my life. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? If you haven't, you can do that this morning. Before you walk out of here, you can find a place and just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I believe you are the son of God, that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I want you to be first and central in my life. That's what we mean when we ask, have you been born again? And if you have been born again, do you know that you've been adopted into God's family? Do you know that you've received the Holy Spirit? Welcome him. Invite him into your life. Start asking him to fill you completely. So we've given you some homework. If you weren't here last week, you're, you don't get off. We're, we're, everyone's got to hear the homework, okay? And it's your choice whether you do it or not. Some of you are like, oh, man, it's summer. Right? 
So here's the homework. And it, really, this is a dare in a sense. I'm asking everybody in our church to read through the book of Acts afresh and anew. If you've read through it a month ago, that doesn't count. We're asking you from last week on to start reading through the book of Acts. And we have some yellow cards in the back on the table as you leave. And it has a, you can kind of go through this and do a checklist. What I'm asking you is not to read it all in one setting, but to take some time with this. It doesn't mean that you can only read one segment at a time. If you want to read two or maybe three just to catch up, you're welcome to do that. But here's the dare, and it's got, a, it's got a reward at the end of this carrot, okay? I guess the carrot is a reward. I don't know what I'm saying. Here's the reward. If you will do this, and if you will fill out this card and bring it back on the first or second Sunday of July, we're going to give $20 for every card that gets filled out. We're giving $20 to the Liberty Center. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to be really embarrassed if we write a check for $200. Come on, Journey. Like... Let's make the board mad at me for doing this without asking them ahead of time. All right? Like, wouldn't it be great if we're writing a check for $4,000, $6,000? Because so many people from Journey said, I'll do it. Now, here's the real value. Of course, we love to support Liberty Center. That's one of the things we do monthly. We love to be able to do that. But here, here's the motivation. I want you to read through this record of the first 30 years of the church and see how vital and instrumental the Holy Spirit was. And I want you to begin to ask the question, could that be today? Could God do it again in our generation? Things are just as dark. Things are just as bleak in this generation. Could God do it again? Could there be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit again? Could God pour out his spirit again where our sons and daughters prophesy and young men see visions and old men dream dreams? Could it happen again? couple other things if you want to know more about the Holy Spirit. We did a series several years ago and you can access that series by going to explorejourney.org slash Holy Spirit. That's all one word, Holy Spirit. There's some great books. I recommend John Bevere's book, The Holy Spirit an Introduction. Just a great you can get it on audio. If you're not a reader you can listen to it on your way to work and really uh, I think it's like four or five hours to listen to. You can do the hack where you turn up the speed so you can listen to them faster. That's what I do. Listen, the bottom line is we desperately need, not just for the light to be on, we need him to be turned up. And listen, he's willing. The Holy Spirit isn't up there going, well, you need to convince me. He's waiting for us to be readied and prepared, desperate. We realize there's no other answer. I'm sick of people walking through the doors of this church and walking out and experiencing no difference whatsoever. I'm sick of doing funerals where there's a 20-something-year-old who died of a drug overdose and I find out that they've come to Journey several times and no difference. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not just clever preaching, not just great singing, we need the life-changing difference of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. If you're watching online, I'm going to ask you to stop whatever you're doing and, and to participate with us in this. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? First things first, have you asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to be the master and leader of your life? That's the beginning of the journey. That's where the light bulb comes on for the first time. Maybe you've walked away from faith in Christ. 
He hasn't walked away from you. He's waiting for you to just turn back to him. There's forgiveness for you. There's adoption for you. So right where you are, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, if that's you, would you just under your breath just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Lead me. If you're in this room or you're watching and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been following him maybe for weeks or months or years or decades. I'm just going to ask you, and you, maybe you already get this, and maybe everything I said today, you already knew it, and, and maybe you could even preach it better than me. But would you just, just for a moment, just have the humility just to say, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in me and with me. Be turned up in my life. I want more of you. I welcome you. But in addition to welcoming you, I need you. I'm desperate for you. Father, I recognize that in this room with all the people that are here, there's work situations, there's home situations. There's personal situations, there's doctors, diagnosis, there's financial issues. God, we're, we're, we don't have what it takes. And so we need your spirit. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to know what to say and what not to say. Empower us to know what to do and what not to do. Empower us to know where to go and the places that we need to stay away from. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to speak to your people in ways that we've never experienced before. And not, not, not necessarily an out loud thing, even though if you want to do that, that's cool by me. But God, I pray that we would begin to sense the nudges and the promptings of your spirit. Just that, that thought that just won't let us go. And we begin to realize that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And God, would you give us the courage to step out? To pray for a coworker. That when someone's venting and sharing that, and we want to give them all the right answers, maybe you're telling us just to be quiet and listen and minister your presence. When we see a need that we have the capacity to meet, that we would have the generosity to step out and do it. In the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. So God, I pray that you would lead us in powerful ways this week. Not for us, for your glory, for your name and your fame and your renown, oh God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.